Hey everybody, welcome back to The Collective. We have another fantastic show for you laid out today. Very excited. We got Dean returning, we got Tim returning. We are set up for a great conversation. Now, while I am excited, y'all should be too. Make sure you are liking the show. Subscribe to the channel. Hit the notification bell. Do all that good stuff. Get your emails whenever we drop these, which is, of course, on Fridays. Um, and I am excited to get this started. So, let's get some intros, and then we'll get into the conversation. The question I have, and we'll go from there. Dean, why don't we start with you? And uh, 10 to 15 seconds, who are you, where you come from? Hit us up. Yeah, Dean Stott, ex-UK uh, Special Forces in the SBS uh, for 16 years, and now uh, balance my life between still the private security sector, focusing on crisis management, specializing in evacuations from war-torn countries, and spending a bit of time on TV, writing books, and everything else, and being a family man. I like it. So not busy at all, just not busy you know, at all. hanging out at home. I like it. Yeah. Tim, how about yourself? Hello, uh, my name is Tim Jensen. I'm Chief Brand Officer of Grunstyle. I also sit as the president of the Grunstyle Foundation, uh, living in the great republic of Texas. And uh, good to be with you guys. I like it. Awesome. We're excited to have you. Now, um, just a, the general question I had for you guys is on entitlement. And I wanted to talk about this in, today just as a thing kicked into my head. My wife and I were chatting about uh, her work she works at the university of alberta up here and there's this kind of prevalence within the student body to see uh education higher education as a public problem right so there's lots of things uh poster boards and stuff like that around the campus that are saying well if you don't like how high tuition is make sure you talk to the premier make sure you send your bill to your mp or whatever it is to discuss you know, a personal funding issue as a public problem. And I saw that as an entitlement, so did my wife, but somebody, some other others of her uh, colleagues saw it as an actual public problem that, you know, tuitions and things like that for schooling, for higher education should be publicly funded. So I wanted to get your guys' just general thoughts on that right off the bat. Do you see that as an entitlement issue or do you see that as, as like a societal public issue? Tim, let's start with you. What do you think? Well, you know, I think it's I think it's a great question, right? Is what is the what is the responsibility of government? You know, we have this conversation here in the United States a lot, uh, right? We're a constitutional republic. You know, there's a certain a lot of a certain amount of things that come along with that. And you know, it, it, as we look at society and we look at the cost of things, you know, uh, the cost of education is becoming extraordinarily expensive. You know, the you know, average, I don't know what the average cost of a, a college education is these days. I know that my degree, I went for three years, got a bachelor's degree in uh, game game theory and design, and that was about a hundred grand, right? And if it wasn't for the you know, VA and, and, and the commitments that I had through my military service, that would have been extraordinarily difficult for me to achieve and the debt that I would have assumed would have been enormous. However, Right. You know, this is the things that if we were wanting to better ourselves and we're wanting to you know, increase our opportunity and our marketability within the, within the free market. Right. We need to be competitive and we need to you know, grow as an individual, become higher and higher educated uh, so that we can expand our abilities. But again, like entitlement is a tough question, right? We live in a world today where Marxism and all sorts of different types of you know, uh, beliefs are becoming you know, very popular within the popular culture. 
And we see this a lot in the United States, and it is a tough it is a tough situation, right? But I always revert back to what the Constitution says, right? We protect the rights of the minority. We provide ample opportunity for people to achieve life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. If we can achieve those four, those three things, then we are living up to the standards of the founding documents of our country. Now, the opportunity of of funding things that uh, offsets or subsidies, right? That's an opportunity for us to be talking in the, the the open forum of our of our population and saying, "Hey, is this something that we want to be exploring as a as a country?" and put it on the ballot, right? I see states across the United States right now that are offering free community college for individuals leaving college. I think that is something that's of, of great excitement because we are encouraging. Uh, our population to become smarter, right? But when we get into like the, the upper echelons of education of Harvard, Yale, and you know MIT, right, where these college where these educations are far beyond the reaches of of the standard American, and you have to have come from a uh, you know a, an elite class, well, that's a different conversation. And, you know, we have to work you know uh, generally harder for those opportunities, but. What is it that we want in, in our country, right? Is it, do we want to continue to facilitate hard work and meritocracy, or do we want to give handouts to the population and make our, our, our civilization watered down and less competitive? That's a very good question. Dean, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, obviously I'm not educated. I never went to university, so I never had to pay back anything. And so, but for me, I, I agree with Tim that, you know, it is the land of opportunity and you know there are the minorities, but, um, I think there needs to be a balance. You know, in, I'll give you an example. In Scotland, your higher education university is free. It's free. And so people know that. And actually, if you come from, used to, if you came from Europe to Scotland, so for example, Estonia, and you came to Scotland, you resided there for a year, you got free education. If you came from England, you had to pay. It was, it was, it was totally offset. But then a lot of people, a lot of Europeans would come in, getting free education and going away. And it's like, well, why are we paying for these people you know, for their education. So I think there needs to be a balance or, or a, a, some some uh, comeback from them is that you have to achieve, you know, if you're going to go to university, you have to achieve certain grades or you have to, you know, see the course through. Um, otherwise, you'll end up having to start pay it back. You know, there has to be some sort of criteria rather than just a free handout. So it's almost like a written contract. But I do feel that, you know, not everyone has has the luxury to be able to afford you know, the education, because as you said, Tim, it's, it's very expensive. Um, you know, I left school in 93, you know. Um, but I also, one of the things that I touched the nerve a little bit with me is that every every job even you I, I see or anything I see on LinkedIn now, everything has, you have to have a bachelor's degree. And I'm like, well, I've seen the quality that comes out of some of these universities. You know, I've done a university in life. And then, it, you know, and so <laughs> for me, it's like, I think it's a bit unfair that everyone feels that for them to succeed in life, they must have a, a degree as well. You know what I mean? There needs to be, you know, look at it with the, um, the magnifying glass. But, you know, I do think, to summarize, you know, I do feel that not everyone had the luxury of being able to afford. So if it can be subsidized by the government, but I think there has to be criteria on that. Absolutely. Sean, where are you coming to on this one? Well, I think that uh, just to clean things up a little bit, Dean, you'd said that, uh, you know, you never went to school and you never uh, paid for a higher education. But of course, I disagree because you've 
you might be the most educated person on the panel right now based on your life trajectory. I mean, it's debatable who's got the most experience in life and who got the better education by not going to school. But I feel like we all did okay. Let's just leave it at that. We all did okay, given that I never uh, went to university or college uh, for a four-year degree myself. And so um turned out okay. I, I could have done better if I was a PhD, or could I have? And I don't think I could have. Because uh, some of the dumbest people I've ever met in the room are PhDs. I mean, they're smart. I mean, arguably, maybe the smartest in the room, but a little bit disconnected from the reality of my world, the world that I operate in, which is not uh, a theoretical model. And sometimes PhDs tend to operate in the theoretical rather than in the practical. I'm just basing that on the first time I ever bumped into a PhD, which was when I was a computer system engineer, and, and I've told this story before, and I'll make it super quick. But uh, I stepped into a, an elevator as the doors opened. Uh, there was a guy standing in the elevator. I stepped into the elevator, stood next to him, and looked at him, and I knew him. He was one of my instructors uh, in uh, the computer system engineering school. And I looked at him and said, Max, what are you doing? And he just looked at me and said, Sean, if I don't press a button on the elevator, when the doors close, do I go anywhere? And I just looked at him and I said, have a good morning, Max. Push the button, look straight ahead, wait for the doors to open and stepped out. Because, I mean, you know, how, how do you have that conversation? I just don't have time in that elevator moment to do an elevator pitch to the dude who's standing in the elevator, think he's going somewhere. But he was a theoretical math PhD. And it was the first time I'd ever met someone quite like him, where he thought and existed in a world that I didn't understand. And it was only through getting to know Max that I realized that there's all kinds of people out there with all kinds of educations. And that doesn't mean, to Dean's point, that they're the right person for the right job simply based on a title that they earned in two, three, or four years. So now I'll finally get to my point. I think that there, there should be some form of opportunity for everyone. Everyone. And it, it, that shouldn't be tied to economics. Now, I don't want to give handouts to every single person just because. I think it has to be earned. I think that if you're entitled to some sort of, we'll call it a freebie, there's got to be some payback. It's got to be a two-way highway. If I give, I get. If you get, you give. And so uh, I'm not sure how it would play out, but in my little perfect world, if you need a higher education and you don't have the means to achieve it, then somehow you're going to earn it. It's either beforehand or after the fact, kind of like universal service. Certain countries, you serve your country. You spend two years, you spend three years, you spend four years, you pay back your education through serving your country or et cetera. So I'm not good with handouts, just blank checks written out into the void with no accountability as to what that's providing for the general population, which is providing that means for someone. I'm okay with handouts that are tangibly creating something betterment in society. So to Tim's point, he'd said life, liberty, and the pursuit of uh, happiness, I believe. Um, none of that requires you to go to college, but going to college can create those things for you. More importantly, it can magnify it for the people around you. So I think it, I think it is part and parcel of the constitution of our modern society. I just don't think it should be handed out like free candy. Mm, absolutely. Tim, you got any uh, additional thoughts on this? 
Uh, no, I think these are all great points, right? And, you know, um, it's again, the modeling, modeling of society, right? I don't think anybody wants to give handouts to anybody, right? I think we as humans want to give a hand up to people because we're at the core and compassionate and empathetic people. Um, and we want to do good in helping others. And I think that's ultimately, you know, what, what you guys try to cover here on, on your show. And, you know, as, you know, as we say, every moment, do your best every day, right? And, and that's providing for others. So when you are in a position where you can help other people do great things, you are achieving, you know, the, the, the pinnacle of self. Yeah, absolutely. Do you need any, any additional thoughts? No, I did like Sean's, you know, maybe giving back in some form, you know, back to the public, you know, maybe conscription, you know, some countries you have to be conscripts, you know, that's them giving back, you know, maybe if you do the conscription, then you're entitled to your higher education, maybe something like that, something that the public are generally going to see you giving, uh, giving back to them. Um, but no, no, you know, all good points. Yeah. I, I just got to jump go. in because because Dean and I were talking before uh, we went live. So Dean and I were chatting in the green room and Dean was talking about how his um, his visa status has recently changed. And, um, I, I don't want to speak for Dean. Maybe Dean can fill in those gaps, but as we were talking in the green room, here's, here's what I was thinking, buddy, to me, it sounded like starship troopers. Uh, if, uh, if no one's ever read the book, it, it's actually one of my favorite books, definitely in my top five. And the reason I like that book is because it talks about serving, serving your, uh, country, serving your fellow man and, uh, how you, how you became a citizen in Starship Troopers was you had to serve before you became a citizen. You weren't a citizen unless you earned your right to become a citizen. And in order to get that higher education, you had to earn your right to get into that higher education. And uh, it required sacrifice. It required um, something bigger than just yourself. And I think that uh, Starship Troopers is an excellent example of how society could run a little bit better. I'm not going to get all crazy and say that's the only way to do it there's so many ways to skin a cat of course but as dean was talking about his their the family your family's recent uh change in status all i could think of was starship troopers because dude i mean you're you're like almost a perfect representation of it you you came up through the trenches, you became large and in charge, you cracked it out of the park, you're an excellent representation of what it means to be almost like a superhero uh, in serving uh, your fellow man. And so it should lead to betterment, it should lead to uh, a nod from some sort of an institution to say, uh, thanks for your service, and here's what you get. So Starship Troopers comes to mind, I just wanted to throw that out. I like that. It, Starship Troopers is an interesting uh, place to go with this. Dean, you got thoughts? Um, yeah, no, just so obviously listeners like be interested what, what visa is. So yeah, me and the family have just been approved now for our, our green card. And I wish it was as easy as Sean said, you know, you know, recognize your time, your service, but actually none of that really came into, into play. You know, the irony is, is, you know, recently got 220 Americans out of Israel, you know, that didn't help. No, there's more the fact that you're an author. That's what they're looking for. You, you, you have, you have Guinness World Records. You know, it wasn't to do with anything I've actually done for society. I wish it was, Sean, but it, you know, it would have been a lot easier the process. But uh, but no, it's a three and a half year lengthy process and an expensive process. But you know, for us, it's, uh, it's you know, we're over the moon that we're now in America. And, you know, in that land of opportunity. You know, sort of going off off piece a little bit. You know, when we came here, I thought it was cliche, but now 
being in America, I, I do believe that is is the case. If you're willing to work hard, uh, then the, the world is your oyster. And that's what I love about being in America. I like that. Now, Tim, you're born and bred down there. So have you noticed at all in terms of the American population? Has that desire almost to work hard and develop uh, themselves for their own betterment? Has that slowly slid away or do you see that more often? Is it just like, um, you know, what we see on social media that's being hyped up? What do you think? Yeah, this is a great question, right? Because, you know, we can easily say, oh, yes, you know, so the, the, the fabric of the United States is changing, yada, yada, yada. Because if we're watching the news, that's what they want us to believe. Uh, but when you turn that, uh, the, that, that boob tube off and you are out in the world and you're interacting with uh, people outside of your devices and you're just having real wholesome communication with your neighbor and people on the streets, at the grocery store, wherever it is that you're going, you will notice that we are far less divided as, uh, as the media would like us to be. And we are still the greatest country on the planet, in my opinion. And um, you know that that idea of meritocracy, that idea that if I am willing to go and do the hard work, that um, you know there is an opportunity in front of me, and I I think I'm part of that story, right? Uh, you know, I came into Grunt Style in 2012, right, as a, a t-shirt folder. I was making ten dollars an hour, and I was like the fifth employee in this business. But what I saw in front of me was a, an ample amount of opportunity, and I seized it for myself. I went after it. I was I was willing to put in the hard work and grind it out every day. So I went from being a t-shirt folder to be to being a uh, production uh, team leader, to being the production manager, to be the operations manager, to be the operations officer. I was made a partner in the business. Then I became. Um, you know, an officer and an executive. Now I run the entire brand of this business and I am now leading the foundation that's going out and doing great things within the veteran and first responder community. So this idea that America is uh, changing, well, I think the the idea the idea is the same. I think the, fa the, the, the population is continuing to evolve, right? And, you know, there's a lot of things that are, are pushing those, those aspects of our culture, but the idea of America is still sound. Uh, there's levels of corruption uh, that is permeating all throughout our country. Uh, that is, you know, a, a whole nother conversation. <clears throat> but I think that the, the 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 ability and the opportunity still exists, and it's for everybody. And you can go out and just grab it if you're if you're so willing to do so. Absolutely, Sean. You got any thoughts on this at all? I agree with Tim. I I think that, uh, I, but I did. I I might have misheard you. I. Did you say the greatest continent in the world? I think that's what I heard. Um, I, I, I agree with Tim, man. Uh, I think that uh, one of the beautiful parts about living on this continent is not always, but generally speaking, you get what you deserve to some degree. You work hard, you get. You don't work hard, you don't get. And I know those are almost sounding callous generalizations, but it gets, a point to uh, gets across the point that uh, sometimes is not said often enough. And I'm going to go back several generations, maybe to, you know, kind of uh, World War II as the example, where a continent bonded together or people bonded together to get things done, to work hard, to to know that there was it was a righteous outcome uh, that was occurring. And that's happened several times since, of course, of course, I'm not uh, I'm not turning a blind eye to modern 
times. But it just seems over the last couple of years, two, three, four years, perhaps, that uh, the messaging behind uh, um, you truly, not as a continent now, and not as a country now, but as an individual, you can be great. Just you, you and you alone can be great if you put in the effort to work as an individual, as part of a team, of course, but as an individual, it requires you to work hard to become great, to make the people around you great. And so it, it feels to me like the messaging is, has stayed at the macro level uh, rather than at the micro level where you've almost got to point at someone individually and say, bro, did you know you could do so much more or not be so much more, but you can achieve so much more if you, if you do this and that and maybe the other thing? maybe recalibrate a touch, get some more sleep, hydrate more, et cetera. All of these tiny little things that seem inconsequential that make the individual great. And uh, that's where I feel modern messaging should be uh, focusing right now is letting individuals know that they can be great. Hmm, I like that. Dean, you got any thoughts on this? Yeah, no, uh, again, um, something Sean was saying then is, is the individuals, there's opportunities here if you're willing to work hard. And sort of going back to the original title of entitlement you know in the uk it's slightly different in the fact that there's a lot of people come over and they know that as soon as they got boots on ground they're entitled to so many welfare services and so that's the, that's the difference i see here in america that isn't the case here you know you have to still work hard and so we've got that balance wrong over in the uk but then on the flip side of that you have a lot of people who are willing to work hard coming from europe uh, to uk and so a lot of people uh, from the UK born and bred, aren't, they're not that they're not employed. They can't be bothered to work because they have such great welfare packages as well. And they then feel entitled. So you then start having this whole whole circle. So I do think, you know, this continent, you guys have got it right. Is it just because you are boots on the ground? It doesn't mean you're going to get this full wel welfare package. You still have to work hard. And that's where we're missing a trick back uh, back in mainland Europe or UK because everyone knows, you know, the attraction to UK isn't the land of opportunity. It's the land of freebies. Mm, that, that's an interesting uh, way to go with this. And, you know, it actually brings up a thought from earlier when we were talking in the green room uh, on your trip to Israel was, I, was, I said, it's interesting how you guys can see a hole and then fill a hole just right away. And I, I'm wondering about how often people are actually doing that. Because there's lots of lot there's lots of times as we've said on the show people have all kinds of great ideas everybody's got an idea right oh that's, this would be great and I could fill this and I could do that and but the the ability to fill the hole immediately is I think where the challenge lies and I personally would like to get your guys' thoughts on this just for my own <laughs> for my own intel uh, my own knowledge is was that a learned skill for each of you guys because all three of you guys represent this quite well in that when you see a hole, when you see something that needs to be fixed, you're on it. Okay, now we're going to do this. So is that something you were taught or do you think that was a, like a personal um, trait that you had bringing it and then uh, harnessed it later on? Tim, we'll start with you. What do you think? Uh, this is a fascinating question because you know, I'm, a, I'm a big 
student of industrial psychology and what makes people tick, right? Uh, you know, there's, a, there's several different uh, psychological thing, tests you can do that can give you a classification and characteristic of your own personal self, right? Myers-Briggs, you know, go down the list. Um, you know, I classify my, I fall into the classification of an architect, right? My personality is extreme. I am a, I'm a problem solver. Um, you know, I have, a, I, have a big, I have a big presence and I solve problems. So you know, when I'm in a position uh, of, of seeing something that like, hey, I have the opportunity, I have the knowledge and I have the resources, I'm going to fix this, right? And, it, it, and it, it causes a lot of problems in my home life, right? Where my wife's like, Tim, I don't need you to fix this. I just need you to listen. <laughs> and you know, so that's, that's always a challenge. But you know, I think that, that you know, some people have this, this innate ability right, to just stand up and go do it, right? And I've often found that these innate abilities are found into in these places where it is selfless service, right? Where somebody is willing to stand up and say, hey, I'm going to go, I'm going to raise my hand and I'm going to go off into another uh, country to do, to do the work that is necessary. Or I'm going to, you know, uh, go into this community and be a fireman or a, a law enforcement officer uh, to provide a service that's going to fill a gap of security or safety um, you know, for a larger community. Uh, and, you know, those are just two, those are very broad examples, right? And you can drill that down into, you know, uh, to the average person, right? And saying, hey, like, you know, uh, I see somebody disrespecting someone else on the street, right? Uh, am I going to get involved or am I not going to get involved, right? And often you'll see people just like in today's society, right? It's, ooh, look, I'm just going to put that on camera and share it out to the world, right? And, you know, and then you get others that are, you know, that are willing to get involved in these things. You know, so I think it's something that is, you know, uh, born into some and, and others, they can grow into it. And then and they get to the point where they see so many problems that they're like, this is just overwhelming to me and I have to make a difference. And they get involved at the local level, right? They start uh, putting time at the YMCA or they're going out picking up trash on the side of the road or, or whatever it is that motivates people to get involved. You know, I think it is, it, there's a moment that those people can go back in time and be like, hey, this was what it was and, and here I am on my path today. And, you know, I see that a lot with our, our work that we do in the foundation and, you know, really going after and solving problems there. I'll, I'll give you one quick example. You know, there's a third of the military forces in the United States of America are on food stamps but that have a family or are like receiving VAH, and that is, a, a, you know, the stipend for family food allowance, yada, yada, yada. You know, uh, that blows my mind that there are uh, individuals within the United States military that are on food stamps and they're worried about putting food on the table when they should be worried about putting rounds on target. Uh, so, you know, we said, well, this is a, this is a, uh, there's an opportunity. I have the resources and I have, I have the means. And, you know, in 2023, we delivered over a hundred thousand pounds of food to active duty military forces, giving them $500 worth of food to you know, offset, uh, you know, their, their finances and put $500 back in their pocket. So I think that's just one example. And there, you can go down the list anywhere you are on this planet and find similar stories. Mm, absolutely. Dean, what are you thinking on this? Yeah, so um, <clears throat> I think going back to your one, we, we spoke in the green room offline, again, some more context for the listeners. So the October 7th, when it kicked off in Israel, I was actually in Disneyland with my wife. First time I've ever been in Disneyland, uh, enjoying it. And then October the 8th, um, 
in the morning, I got a message from a friend whose family were on a tour in Bethlehem as it was all unfolding on, on the screen. Uh, by that evening, I was on a plane to Israel. Um, but the reason we were, and I mentioned to yourself, Chance, you know, it took then about a week before the other, a week to 10 days before the other team started mobilizing and getting out. And actually, the majority of the work was, was done by then. So the success of that was the fact that we were quite nimble. No, we had the opportunity. It was me and my wife. We had the knowledge. You know, we evacuated people from Libya, Afghanistan and other places. Uh, and we had the capacity, you know. And so, you know, I do see me and my wife did a great guest speaking event uh, in December. And, and the topic was who to help today. And what we were talking about is actually that it doesn't have to be on the world stage where you normally see the stuff that I do. You know, there's people to help, as Tim's touched on, underneath your noses. But the majority of society, not majority of society, that's the wrong thing to say. You know, there's two types of people. There's those who will just wait till someone else does it or there'll be someone who does it them, themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I think that, I don't think that is nurture. I think it is nature. You know, I, I, my, my, I, I see kids who are genuinely caring and kind and I see other kids who, 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 who just, just walk straight on by um, there's one thing that I don't know. You guys did it in the military. We did it in the military. Is don't find a job. You know, they, they don't, you know, don't leave anything, any jobs unattended. You know, if you see something, you know, do it, fix it before the corporals or the sergeants, you know, start shouting at you. So we're naturally in the military looking for jobs or things that need to be dug, done or, or plugging holes. But you know, obviously, to uh, different extremes. But yeah, I think uh, Tim's hit hit the nail on the head with that. If you have the opportunity, you have the capacity and you have the knowledge, uh, then do it. Don't just walk on by and expect someone else to to do it. And that's 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 the luxury me and my wife had had with this with October the seventh. You know, we had the capacity, we had the knowledge. And strangely enough, unlike Libya, Afghanistan, I was telling you, Chance, I'd never been to Israel before. So all the other places I'd been to, I had safe houses, I had security, I had infrastructure in place. I'd never never been to Israel before. So I literally did it reverse. I had the experience of it and I just had to do do the reverse. And yeah, I mean, a week later, we had 220 Americans uh, repatriated. Um, so yeah, if, if we'd waited any longer then you know, and I said, no one came in for about another seven to 10 days. So if I had that mindset, well, if someone else would do it, then, you know, that wouldn't have been a success. Absolutely. Sean, where are you coming from on this? I think that uh, we're kind of in, for me anyway, I'm in the right area on this subject when uh, Tim raised up the fact, not the fact, but the idea that um, everyone has a certain personality. And uh, I forget what uh, the Mar Briggs, what I, the four letters that I'm assigned, uh, whatever, but apparently it's the general. I don't know what that means. It's some sort of general type. but I don't feel like a general, at least certainly I don't get paid the same as a general. Uh, But um, what I do know is this, that I'm going to tie two things together. Your personality is maybe what you are, but then you got to figure out how to work that personality out into the world. And so Tim had raised the idea of, you know, volunteer at the YMCA and et cetera. Well, I did do that. Uh, I did volunteer at the YMCA. And here's what I learned is that the YMCA wasn't the right place for me because I was already racing at an international level on mountain bikes. I thought maybe I'd be able to go to my YMCA and and help people like 
dude, you know, your, your spin bike, your saddle, you need to raise it up another 12 inches. I mean, just try that for your knees for a little while, see how that feels. And so I just thought I'd be able to go help people, you know, more safely participate in sports or, or pursue excellence in a more, um, achievable manner than just going to the YMCA and hoping that it all magically worked out. But this is what my YMCA, uh, turned into. I had an idea that I'd volunteer my time to make people better. I found myself mostly folding towels. And so there's a lot of towels that need to be folded in the YMCA when the YMCA uh, provides a free towel service. So I'd have all the people coming up to me. Can I get another towel? You sure can. I'd like two towels. I'm a sweater. Okay, I'll get you two towels. So that, I did that for about three months. I handed out towels. Just wasn't for me. I'm just not the towel guy, I guess. And so I found that my time wasn't valued there by myself or anyone else around me. And so you can be of a certain type of person. You can want to do good things in the world, but you can be underemployed in the area that you're trying to provide in, such as serving your fellow man. So I think you got to know who you are. You've got to look around for opportunities to help, to fill in the gap so that the corporals don't yell at you. And then you got to go do your thing and see if it's right for you. And maybe sweeping the hallways at the end of the day, every day, feels good to you. Keep on keeping on. But if it doesn't feel good to you, find another gap to fill in. The only way that you'll find your gap, like Dean punching straight over to Israel, Dean knows his gap because... Dean's been in the game of filling gaps for a long time. He knows what works for him. But that was through a process, not a formal uh, education as we've already established. That was through 16 years of experience filling gaps and figuring out how Dean best works in these kind of situations. So Dean came to his fast conclusions through a long process of life. Whereas uh, if you think that you can take a a personality test, come up with who you are, and then instantly assign that's my path to success, or that's going to make me feel like I'm 100%, or that's the only thing I should do, you're, you're probably wrong. You've probably got a couple of years of volunteering and filling in gaps or folding towels or scrubbing showers or mopping hallways, whatever the case is, until you figure out what works best for you. I really like this point because the... Uh... When you first start working at a ranch or you first start working around horses or animals in general, what do you think the first thing you have to do is? <laughs> you got to go shovel some stuff and you're going to be doing it for a long period of time before you move anywhere else. And it's really more of a test to, it's, it's, it's a job that needs to be done, obviously, right? It's something that has to be completed, but it's also something that, you know, anchors you to the root of why you're there at least in my mind. So like when I work with horses, I remember what it's like. And I still do have to I go and I clean the stalls afterwards and I brush the animal down and I do all the things that need to be done. But there's no complaint there. But when I first started when I was a kid and I had to go do that, oh man, there was lots of complaint and lots of whining and lots of, well, I don't want to, I want to go riding and I want to, but it's part of the job. And I don't think you, I don't think we realize that until we do it long enough to realize that uh, it's integral to do those kind of, I don't want to say crummy jobs, but the less glamorous 
parts of the job to uh, to really understand how best to fill another hole later on. Because if you've never been out there cleaning stalls, you don't know what the job actually entails, at least in my mind. Have you guys noticed that at all in terms of uh, maybe employing other people or just dealing with uh, the general public that they don't really understand the uh, the whole job? Yeah, I think that makes I, sense. I think I'd love to jump in on this because there's something Tim mentioned earlier. My ears pricked up that, you know, he started folding T-shirts. So he started at the bottom. So he's that guy at the ranch shoveling, shoveling whatever it is. But as, and I've seen this with a few big companies in America. The success is they, anyone who comes in, they employed, they start on the factory floor. And the, the only way they can progress to being a director or executive director is, is through ranks. And I think that's great because you understand how hard it is. So when you're telling that person, you've been there. If you just come in at a director level, you can't appreciate the hard work and effort that goes in on the factory floor because you've not been there. And so I've seen this before, that first form, you know, I get, go over to there, St. Louis, and that's the same. You know, if I was going to get employed by first form now, although I know Andy and Emily, I'm not going in at a director level. They're putting me in the factory and I'm packing and I'm writing those personal cards. So I think it's, it is crucial, I think, you know, for the development. And as you then develop and grow within that company or working at the ranch, you know, you can appreciate the effort and time and how hard it is as well, because it is hard work. Um, it's hard at all levels. So I think it's, it's very important as well for that. So, so I know Chance, you had to shovel, you know, you know, whatever you had to shovel, but you now appreciate it when the young boy and girl come in and they do the same that, you know, it, it does get better. Absolutely. It does. Tim, you got any thoughts on this? Yeah. I mean, it's a process, right? If, if you jump into something that you don't know, are you providing the value that you think that you are? Probably not, right? Um, you know, I think back to the, the fall of Afghanistan. You know, uh, I was a Marine. I fought in Iraq. I never fought in Afghanistan. Uh, I wasn't a, a, a tier operator. Um, but when the fall had happened, I wanted to do something. I knew that I had the capacity. I knew that I had the resources. But you know what I didn't have? I didn't have the fuck. I didn't have the knowledge, right? I didn't know how to do any of that. But what was the next best thing that I could do? Well, I can I can look at different groups that are going in there, like Save Our Allies, Operation Geronimo, uh, you know, all these special forces guys that were coming together to go get their friends and allies that they had worked with for so very long out of that country. So I provided the best next the next best thing for them, and that was you know finding ways of funding their opportunity to get them on the ground to do the work that they needed to be doing. That was what I that was the contribution that I knew that I could provide. I followed that process because I knew that if I was to insert myself and get on the ground and, and be a, uh, you know, some sort of force multiplier within that group, I would not have been able to provide the needed, necessary, required thing for that particular moment in time that somebody else could do better than me. So why even introduce myself to that and, and, and be a part of you know, potentially uh, a failing uh, uh, cog in that wheel? It doesn't make sense. And that's in everything in life, right? It is a process to everything. If you are, are, are willing to put your energy and time into something, go through the processes of it. If you are the type of individual that you're going to shortchange yourself or do uh, shortcuts, then expect a, uh, a, the result that you're going to get, right? Because that, that result is nine times out of 10 going to be a failing result. 
Um, you know, and, and, and that's the, the way that we have to look at these things um, in, in life, right? You can't, you can't shortchange, you, you can't, you know, do the things that you want to do in an expeditious manner uh, by, you know, cutting particular parts of the process out uh, because those processes are all required for the end result. Yeah, absolutely. John, what are you thinking on this? I think that it's great that you made that uh, conclusion or you came to that decision, Tim, in respect to how best to uh, serve in that moment or how best to support in that moment, because we're all supporters and we're all servers, um, you know, simultaneously, I, I believe. And uh, whether a person's providing the beans and bullets or whether someone's eating the beans and shooting the bullets, to me, it's of no concern. It's about the, uh, the totality of the effort and all the players that are involved in the machinery making it move. And so I'd go one step further and say, arguably, Tim, that uh, if you had the, let's let's pretend that you were the highest tier in the entire world, whatever that is, and uh, you show up and you're the man. Well, maybe uh, you being the man on the ground is going to move the needle far less than Tim, uh, who's uh, demonstrating support. Because I know for myself, on the ground, if I feel like I don't have the support, I'll still get the job done. But when I feel like someone's got my back or someone's giving me the nod or someone's into what we're doing or someone feels it's important enough beyond just like a very thin veneer of people who are in the know, like that that moves the needle far more than a single man on the ground, I feel, at, at times, knowing that the support is there. So perhaps, Tim, uh, your support was uh, uh, moved the needle more so than any one man on the ground. I'm just throwing that out there. Uh, second thought is this, that uh, I find it ironic, uh, perhaps, that um, if, you, if you can't work in a horse stall and, and shovel it and clean it up uh, with no eyes on you and not do a good job, then here's what you absolutely can't do. This is guaranteed million dollars on the table. If you can't do that starting point of working in the dark, shoveling with no eyes on, you definitely can't go into the stalls of Tier 1 Special Operations in Canada. We actually are in horse stalls. Now, the facility that we're in is a facility that used to be used for the RCMP uh, musical parade, the ride. Horses were kept in literal horse stalls. So my stall was a horse stall with all my gear, all my swag, all hanging up, all the all the sexy boy stuff in a freaking horse stall. All the horse stalls in a row, all tier one special operators in horse stalls. How fascinating that day one, if you refuse to shovel out the stalls, you'll never make it into day one million living out of a stall as the thing that you want to be, but you'll never be it because you don't want to start at day one with the shovel. That's how life goes, man. You can't, you can't be the end result if you can't start on the day one process. And so the horse stalls of life are mandatory. You got to learn how to pick it up. You got to learn how to shovel it. You got to learn how to clean it up. And you got to walk out of there with a job 100% done with nobody watching you. And you got to be prepared to do it again the next day and the day after that. And week by week, year by year, eventually, maybe you'll be looking at Nomex hanging in a horse stall in Canada in an undisclosed location. 
and you'll be freaking proud of the process. That's a great point. Just just one on that. You also need to be humble because it can happen anytime. It's something you mentioned there. So when I did selection, I went from tier two to tier one. I'd, I was already an instructor on in tier two. I was at Limston on the commando course. I was a sergeant. You start, they take your rank straight from you. When you pass selection, you, you are now a trooper again. And so it can happen at any time. <laughs> For me, I was that like, perfect. No less responsibility and just load a door kicking. But, you know, it's something you just mentioned there. Is the process, as you mentioned, Tim, the military is perfect. Perfect example of the process. You cannot come in at sergeant level. You cannot come in at color sergeant, staff sergeant. You have to start as that private, that marine, uh, that trooper. You know, the, the officers sometimes sneak in up there, but then they have their own process anyway. But uh, it's a good example. You know, that's uh, this is an interesting uh, thought pattern then, because we see this a lot in the corporate world where you have uh, C-suite individuals jumping from position to position to position without coming up from the ground without joining that business from the ground level when you have and that in my mind that creates a level of disconnection which again we see within uh the officer and enlisted ranks sometimes as well right where there's just the disconnect because they don't really know what it's like to be on the ground and i'm wondering if you guys do you have a solve for this in terms of you know the movement of personnel left right and center without uh yes tim Tim's the solve. Tim's the solve. Tim did it. That's the process right there, Tim. <laughs> you, I don't know, Tim. Have you ever been referred to as the solution? Uh, no, I've been referred to as many things, but uh, the solution is not one of them. Uh, <laughs> but I appreciate, it. I appreciate, it, Sean. Um, you know, uh, you know. I think you know. It's a, that's a great question. Like, you know, if you're jumping into a situation that like. Let's take, for example, in my business, we make T-shirts, right? We're not making uh, digital equipment. We're not we're not making missiles. We're not part of the war machine, right? But we make T-shirts, uh, and you know, it, it's an application, right? You got uh, you know ink that goes on a shirt, right? It seems simple enough, right? But if you're going to jump into something um, and you know be a screen printer, you don't know how to uh, to do screen printing applications. All you're going to be doing is creating chaos inside of a inside of a system. Right. And then what happens then? The system starts to, to break. Right. So you have just you have not contributed anything other than failure to a total organization that is relying on you for for you to come in and do something as a professional. And you know, so I think when you're you're thinking about like, how can I how can I. How can I solve for uh, for certain situations? Well, you know, it, you got to have a plan. Right. And inside that plan, you got to have a in the United States military. We have this thing called the PACE acronym. It's the primary, alternate, contingency and emergency plan. Right. And you might go through all four of those steps before you solve your problem. Uh, and you're in, you're in the place of something that you're like, OK, we're here. I feel comfortable. Let's continue moving forward. But you know, and then there's those things that you just cannot plan for. Right. And, you know, what is the first thing that we learn in combat? You know, any plan that you have made, it goes to crap when the first round is fired and you have to improvise. Right. So there is a level of impro improvisation that has to go along with anything that you're doing, and especially when you're solving problems, because you're you're working in a kinetic and a constantly moving situation. 
as they would say, fluid, right? So be like water. And you know, you just gotta kind of move through these things using what you know and your experience that you can solve the problems that are in front of you, right? And you know, the two things I always ask myself when I'm in a situation that I may not know the solution to, or I'm in a situation of high stress is, am I being shot at and am I going to die? And if I can say no to those two things, then I will be able to solve any problem that is in front of me because I'm, the, I'm a man of resources. I'm going to find somebody that can do it better than me. And I don't always have to be the problem solver. I just have to be the person that comes up with an idea and says, hey, you know, I think we can solve this. And I'm going to go bring a, a team of individuals to this problem and we're going to attack it full force. Absolutely. I love that. Dean, thoughts on this? Uh, yeah, just so many... Um... Where are we where are we on that the um, yeah I think you know you can't be experienced without experiences as well you know people you know when we're talking about people coming from C suites to C suites they're probably uh, in there for a reason there may be a gap or a problem within that business and this person has dealt with that problem in another company yes they probably haven't started off on the on the on the the shop floor but what they have done is dealt with that situation itself you know there's a company up here i was in with them the other day and they've now had a new ceo come in he's coming from another company it's another clothing brand company but totally the opposite from them it's not tactical uh it was actually a kid's clothing brand but they've decided that he this guy will know how to put more boots on the on the uh, the shop floor and so you know, as Tim said there, you know, you may not be the problem solver yourself. You know, what's one thing me and Alana like to class ourselves as problem solvers? You know, we may come into an industry we don't understand, but actually through our experiences in, in other industries, you know, there are similar similar synergies. And and that's when I started thinking about the university thing as well, is, is that problem solvers, it cannot be experienced without experiences. But when you go to university, you know, it's what's what's in black and white. And that's why I sometimes worry about the future. Those that come out of university, you are educated, but your education doesn't start until you're actually, you know, you, you are working. Absolutely. Sean, what do you think? Well, I don't want to forget what Dean just said. And, and I, I do agree with, uh, you know, you can, again, you can be a super capable PhD or you can be the dumbest person in the room. It all depends on how you were brought up in the educational system. If you weren't taught to critically think throughout that entire process, well, guess what? And so um, to something that Tim had said, uh, and, and he didn't categorize it uh, specifically as saying that we are absolutely not in the war machine industry. He didn't say that. It was the spirit of things that uh, caught my eye because I kind of think that you are because uh, what you're doing is you're, um, as I see it anyway, based on uh, the things that you've said uh, just now and, you know, observing the business, you're kind of applying the war game within your industry. I mean, you're, you're talking about fluidized, tactical, strategic. You're talking about, you know, whatever. Maybe there's, we're going to be talking ambush and counter ambush here in 10 minutes, but it's, it's related to industry. And so uh, there's that. There's the application of the war industry game that you learned well, and you've probably got some friends uh, alongside of you who learned it well, and now you're flourishing because of those skill sets. But the messaging, the messaging on that T-shirt, the messaging on any T-shirt that you put out, anything that comes from the company is part of the war machine industry if you choose to make it part of the war, war machine industry by your specific messaging. So you can, you can move 
You could be more powerful than a cruise missile, depending on what you put on a t-shirt and who you sell it to based on the spirit of the messaging. And so I think that uh, a t-shirt company, and and I was going to casually state just a t-shirt company to make my point, but some people won't recognize the delta of what I'm trying to explain is a t-shirt company will um, have more impact sometimes with the right person sometimes to change their life. Like there might be t-shirts that you've put out, buddy, that a person had to work real hard, had to save a long time to buy. And now it's their favorite freaking t-shirt. They wear it freaking everywhere because it represents them, not you, not the machine, but their spirit. It represents how they feel about themselves, how they feel about the world. And, and so you can go and serve your country and you might not get that feeling, but you can put on a t-shirt and you can get that feeling. It's like a poor man's poster to himself. And so uh, I think that uh, I know you don't undervalue what what uh, just a t-shirt company can do within the uh, machine. But I feel that with the right people and the right messaging at the right time for the right individuals who pick up what you're putting down, it's a pretty powerful thing. And just to add to, to Sean as well, you're also supporting the War Machine veterans with your foundation. That's probably more powerful than in, the, uh, in itself. So yeah, kudos. Absolutely. Jimmy, got thoughts on this? Uh, first, I appreciate the, the kind words from, from both of you fine gentlemen. Uh, and, and you're right, you know, think about like business in general, right? You know, for us and individuals of, of where we come from and the cut of cloth of, of, of which we came, you know, we're taking this, the ideas and the, the tactics, the strategies, the TTPs that we've learned over decades of, of, of honing our craft, right? And then, you know, we put the rifle down and we, you know, we, but we don't, we don't leave that lifestyle behind us, right? We're just applying it in different directions and into different mediums. You know, I'm, you know, business is much like the battlefield, right? You're having to constantly maneuver through the space. You're constantly having to do, do site recons. You're, you're having to, you know, uh, SWAT, you know, do SWAT reports on, on the enemy uh, or salute reports as you would and understanding, you know, what is the, what is the opportunity? What does the consumer look like? What are the threats, right? These are all things that you would do on standard battle preparation. And, you know, as a, as an old Sergeant in the Marine Corps, right? I, I, those things didn't fall, you know, uh, on, on deaf ears or, uh, you know, lightly on me. I'm like, I, I love that aspect of my life and to, to be able to apply it into a business and do it uh, in a way that it makes sense. And, and then communicating it with a bunch of my friends who are all military people. It's like, oh, we all get this and we all understand the mission, right? There's, uh, for example, inside of our business, like we don't do anything without doing a five paragraph order. What is the situation? What's the mission? What's the execution? What's the command and control? And what is signals? How does how do we move, right? And that is how we apply uh, strategies within our business. And it works. It works so good that we've able to build this incredibly large machine in a way because the mission is clear for everybody. Everybody knows they're part of the execution because it's clearly defined in the command and control element. And we know how to communicate it to each other when we have significant events of critical information it needs to be passed up to command so we can make critical those, those decision points to keep the machine moving forward. And so we do not stop because what happens when you stop in combat? You die. And what happens when you stop in business? You die. And it's the same principles. There's just 
you know, the death is is, is metaphysical or, or, or theoretical in, in the sense, you know, um, in, in, in what would be considered on the battlefield. So, you know, I'm, I'm extraordinarily blessed to have the opportunities to continue to apply those ideas that I learned so very long ago. And, you know, providing opportunities for people to, you know, uh, really understand the culture of where we're coming from. You know, and I think that is one of our bigger responsibilities as our company, right? It's grunt style. We are providing style through the lens of the grunt, right? And we are providing that look behind the, the curtain of saying, man, this is what the military lifestyle is all about. And this, this camaraderie, this sense of pride and self in military and country, uh, you know, all the things that, you know, uh, that all of us share on this call, right? These are, this is the, these are the things that made us the men and, and the women of who we are today. And, and I think that's something to be celebrated. And that's one of the, the biggest things I love about the, you know, being the business, a, a businessman one in general, but being a business uh, man within the, 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 the four walls of grunt style, because you know, it's, it's a playground and it's like, you know, the last 11 years of my career has been like a deployment, you know, at least just get to go home every day and spend time with my family rather than trying to get them on a sat phone and, you know, listen to that eight second delay <laughs> furiously. That delay was one of the crucial <laughs> points. Of so much fun. I, uh, <laughs> a little side story on that one, but I, uh, I was talking to my mom in Afghanistan on a sat phone and we got, uh, we got rocketed. <laughs> so all she heard was the explosion. And I said, gotta go click. And then I didn't talk to her for like three days. <laughs> she freaked out for a little while, but it was, uh, those are great points. And I want to bring this up because, uh, I want to bring up the, the concept of the idea and how powerful that can be, but not just the idea, but the application of an idea. And I think that's a lot of what I see within grunt style, especially is that, you know, you talk about pride, you talked about camaraderie. These are just ideas. But when you apply them to each other, you apply them to what it is you want to do in life. It creates solutions. It, it, it exposes problems. It allows you to actually see what needs to be done and then do it. But it's not easy to apply an idea because it's fluid, right? Our idea of pride is different than your idea of pride. And what uh, somebody else sees as camaraderie, we see as hazing. And like, there's this constant kind of back and forth. And I want to get your guys' thoughts on applying those ideas to not just a demographic, but to the world. Like grunt style isn't, it is idealized for the grunt, but lots of Lots of non-grunts wear the stuff. Lots of people who were never in the military wear the stuff too. So it's kind of a, you know, I'm just trying to grasp the whole concept itself. Tim, I'm going to come back to you on this one. What do you think? Yeah, that's a great question, right? Because uh, we, we, we ask ourselves this one a lot inside of our business. It's like, how do we continue to get further into the population uh, inside the United States of America? You know, as our core demographic started off as that 35-year-old sergeant, um, one deployment under his belt, probably a squad leader, and it's been you know one enlistment, right? That was that was the core demographic, right? Now where we are today, we're like seven rings outside of that bullseye, and how do we get there? Was constantly asking ourselves, like, how do we penetrate further? How are we going to get grunt style to be a household name, right? And it's identifying the things that you know the common thread that that that, that goes through our, our our population, and that there's you know this idea of patriotism. Right. And, you know, this is where, you know, it gets into some of the bigger conversations um, that we like having within our business. And, and, and it really centers around this idea of being apolitical. 
And this is, and, you know, this, this, this can be controversial, but, you know, at the end of the day, if there's no controversy, then is it worth having that conversation? Uh, so, you know, for us, we believe that patriotism is a constant and you don't have to be left, right or center, right? It is, you know, everybody to a reasonable degree uh, has a love for this country. Now, their, the perspective that they have, and I'm speaking in, in, the, in the generalities of the United States, uh, but, you know, the, when we when we talk about that, like you you might have people on the on the far right that has this this belief, and you might have people on the far left that have this belief, but you know what they're they're doing is they're they're participating in this opportunity that the founding documents of our country have allowed is the opportunity to petition your government, right? And what you know something that I'm very proud of, uh, you know, with the work that we've done over the years is the passage of the PACT Act. You know, uh, I, I was a key stakeholder in getting the largest piece of veteran uh, legislation passed in the last hundred years when it came to this idea of toxic bird pits and how we were all exposed to this when in our service in Iraq and Afghanistan and 24 other countries around the world where special operators are working. You know, and, you know, that came down to simply when we were in Washington, D.C., and we were, we, we were assured that the vote was going to pass. And then in the 11th hour, 14 Republicans changed their vote. Well, we aligned with our all of our friends. We went to uh, the Capitol and we started knocking on the doors of those 14 people. Uh, I, I specifically went to the senator of the state of Texas, and that was Ted Cruz. And I was kindly escorted out of the Capitol by Capitol Police, uh, with uh, surrounded by women and children, widows and and orphans of uh, you know of men that have died or women that have died due to these toxic exposures. But you know, we sat there and we said. You know what? And, and, and all the other conversations weren't going well. And it didn't look like this thing was going to pass. And we had just spent, you know, some of us 15 years working this. I was in that, uh, that, uh, that conversation for about six years. And everything was becoming so focused that we were going to lose all of that work. And I said to my friends, I'm like, you know what, guys? We're not going anywhere. We're going to sit on the Capitol steps. And we're going to fight and we're going to petition our government. Why? Because we love our country. We love we love everything about it. And we're going to take that point that we talked about earlier. We're going to take that hard right to make a, to, to correct a wrong. And, you know, by doing in, in, in six days later, um, you know, sitting through the sweltering heat of August, Washington, D.C., day and night, um, getting rained on, uh, lightning bolts hitting within feet of us. Yeah, unbelievable uh, uh, you know, timing. But six days later, we got that passed, and we passed the biggest law in, in veterans history. Um, you know, but that's that's where I think like our company shows through in showing and being that example for people of like, yeah, this is what patriotism is. You know, we all have a love of country. We don't have to agree on everything. I mean, for Christ's sake, uh, David Hogg was up there on the steps with us. I don't agree with his 2A. I don't agree with his, his position on the, on the Second Amendment. But you know what? He was there to, to help us, and he was there to lend his voice on what we needed to do to get this, pass, this bill passed so that no more lives were going to be in jeopardy and, and, and veterans would be able to earn their health care through the VA. And, and that's where I think we as, as people 
you know, have this opportunity to come together, right? As long as it, it, we got to get past this idea that, you know, because you're on the different, different side of politics than me, I don't want to work with you. Well, you know, that's not how, that's not how civilization works. That's not how governments work. And that's not how populations work. You know, I think that we can all align on the things that are important to us and we can look past some of the, the disagreements that we may have and things and beliefs that we may have for the betterment of, of the end result. And, you know, that's where I think Grunt Style shines. You know, we, again, we're apolitical. We'll talk to anybody that is willing to listen, that is willing to take an idea and bring it across the finish line. Um, we're currently working on psychedelics here in the United States to get psychedelics decriminalized and, de and descheduled. So veterans and people with mental health uh, um, problems uh, and conditions have access to these types of modalities of treatment. Now, that's... I think we can all get behind that because mental health is affecting nearly every person in this country. And I'll work with anybody to get that thing, uh, to get that idea passed. Absolutely. And I, uh, just as a side point, I watched uh, your chat with Chad McLean, who's awesome dude. Love that guy. He's been on the show a number of times. Uh, Dean, you got any thoughts on this? Um, no, I think Tim hit the nail on the head there. You know, I don't want to go into politics or pages and I'm from Britain. So I, I just, you know, Sees, but actually, when you were talking about how, you know, how to reach out to a bigger community, I know, and I've done it before when I've chatted on the stage, I talked about my parachuting injury and then having an identity crisis and from the military and, you know, what is my role in society and the similarities between special forces and professional sports people. They spent their year, their, their careers, build themselves up to be the best they could be and then a life-changing injury or a freak accident sort of ends that. But actually, you know, having now a bit more experience and knowledge, this isn't just special forces. This isn't just professional sports people. This is the whole community. You know, everyone likes to be part of a tribe and feel like part of, of a community. It's a great book called Tribe. And actually, it's you know, it's mainly the males as well. Females are quite, you know, they don't need to be part of a tribe. But as males... You know, we need to feel like we're part of a community, part of a tribe. And so things like um, you know, your, your T-shirts, um, you know, the grunt style, you know, people like that. They like to see other people wearing it and, and they give themselves a nod. So so actually it's easier. I imagine from your initial concept to, right, we want to target the, the military community. How do we expand that? I, I imagine it was quite, it wasn't that hard really, um, regardless of your, you know, your, your political views. But yeah, I think the male community, the people like to feel part of a team, part of a tribe. Uh, and so you know, organizations like yours are perfect for that. Absolutely. Sean, what are you thinking? Since we're on a T-shirt theme, I, uh, I, I do like the idea of how it can draw people together 100%. It, it does create a nice sense of tribalism and it can be a positive tribalism or it can be a negative tribalism. The uh, first podcast of this year for the uh, the Goldmine podcast, that's the first time we ever ran it. It was with two guys from Fuel Hunt, and uh, they're putting out uh, some stuff, and I love their slogans. I love their approach to life. They're out there kicking arse and all of that good stuff, and and so they're just two cool guys who had a we had a cool conversation with, and I like the way they're running their program. They're into their tribe. They're into trying to make things better. They've got some messaging that I uh, appreciate, and so that's enough for me. Uh, if you're a positive-minded individual, then we're going to be cool. And so, uh, what's what's the um, what's the harm in any tribalism or any T-shirt uh, companies? None that I see. 
And uh, the these kind of things, um, whether it's Fuel Hunt or it's Grunt Style or uh, any company that's trying to uh, create more cohesiveness within either the veteran community or in the community as a whole, positive, forward-thinking people, uh, I'm a big fan. But it's got to start from somewhere. It's got to start from one person as the example. The person who gets it in their head and says, I'm going to start something called grunt style. And so um, to me, that requires a, not a special individual, but it requires a certain kind of individual. Because uh, what will never happen is, and I'm going to use a um, an, an unpolished term, if a normal person wakes up in the morning and says, I'm going to start something called grunt style, guaranteed by the end of the day, it hasn't started. And if it does start, okay, maybe there's a 3% chance that it starts. A week later, it's done. Finished. Because it's hard. There's a certain amount of grind to get anything off the ground from, from zero. And so three miles an hour, 10 miles an hour, doesn't matter what the velocity is. It's grind. All grind. All the time. To get something going. And so um, why will a person stay in the grind game? It typically takes a really strong why. And funnily enough, just this week, we were in a podcast, and it was with two individuals. One is uh, Dr. Brooke, who is a psychologist out of California, works with special operators and et cetera. And the other guest uh, was uh, PJ Miller, uh, former JTF2 operator, Tier 1 Special Operations. And uh, talking with those two individuals, it was something that PJ said, and uh, I've been thinking it for a long, long time. It's just that I don't hear it too often from Canadians uh, because not too many Canadian Tier 1 operators talk in front of a microphone. And uh, what we did agree on, he said it first, and I was so happy to hear it from another dude, and it is this, that we or I, we were taught to do anything and believe that we can do anything. Anything. I mean anything. You, if someone says, Sean, you'll never be a psychologist, you, it's impossible that you could ever become a board-certified psychologist. Frickin' get out of the way. I'll be a psychologist before 10 years from now. Garen freaking T, million dollars on the table. Nothing will hold me back. Nothing. If I feel it's important. And so I'll be, I'll be an astronaut in 10 years if I think it's mandatory to save the planet. So that's what it takes sometimes. Sometimes it takes scaling it up to this is so important that I cannot fail. And for the right people, with the right drive, the impossible becomes possible. I, I, I've just seen it happen too many times in my life and others' lives. I was enabled to do anything I set my mind to now. But I wouldn't have believed that when I was a kid, when I was 18, skinny, underperforming kid before I joined the military. I didn't think I could rub two sticks together and create fire. Uh, but now I, I realize that you, you have to see it. You have to, you have to be around it. You have to smell it. You have to taste it. You have to touch it. You have to be part of it in order to establish that anything is possible. If you surround yourself with the right people just for a day, you get that vibe and realize, oh my goodness, there's a level here that I didn't understand. That's how it works. And I can apply that in my life, freaking get out of the way. That's what I love to see for people out there is 
the individual who wakes up in the morning doesn't think that they can start a t-shirt company, but then later that afternoon, they bump into the right person that looks them square in the eye and says, bro, are you even freaking kidding me right now? You're going to smash it. Get to it. Bam. That's a, that's what I really do believe we need is, is messaging that encourages people to believe in themselves more, to understand that they have more in them to give, that they are capable of anything they put their mind to. Maybe not quite as quickly as a tier one operator, but uh, you're capable of more than you think. And, and I'd love for that messaging to maybe be on the back of a t-shirt. On the back of a t-shirt? Could we get some messaging? Maybe. We might be able to sort that out. Dean, you got any thoughts on this? I'm just going to challenge Sean Ask if he can be a psychologist in 10 years. That's it. No. No, no, I, I think, yeah, no, we do. Yeah, I, I do believe it. And I, I always said that anything is possible. It just hasn't been done yet. But you have to have that motivation. Why, why do you, why you, why do you want to do it? You know, for me, what I've done in the past, I've done it either because I wanted to prove other people wrong. It's probably not the right reason. Um, but that has been my driving, <laughs> driving force or, or my, or my motivator. But, um, yeah, no, Sean, I've no doubt you'll be an astronaut or a psychologist if you wanted to do it. Maybe a psychologist, astronaut, both. Ten years. What do you think, Sean? <laughs> You're gonna pick the no. Uh, Tim, you got any thoughts on uh, what Sean just said? Yeah, I think it's great. Uh, you know, I think you know all of us to 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 some reasonable degree. You know, um, you know, Sean, Dean. You know, you guys are you guys are you know from the the, the upper tiers of, of military. Um, you know, work. Um, you know, we're we're enablers, right? As me as a business person. You know, my job is to enable people to 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 achieve their best. And how do you do that? Well, you 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 sit there and you work with them. You give them the tools and the resources so that they can be their best. I find that you know this is something I learned early in in the Grunstow side of things. Is and this goes back to the military side as well. Is you know as a leader, you provide the goals, you provide the resources, and you get out of the way, right? Um, but in that same sense. You, there is a significant amount of enablement that comes along with that to, you know, work with your people, to work with those that feel that they can't achieve what is set in front of them. And you got to give them that nudge and you got to show them sometimes. You got to roll up your sleeves and be like, look, I, I, will, I, I believe in you so much that I'm going to sit here for however long it is that I think that I need to, to, to uh you know, be at your side to give you what you feel uh, is necessary to achieve that mission. And, and I think that's important, right? Is especially as you get older and you, and to Dean's points, like once you have that experience and now you have that experience to share with other people, you're enabling and you may not know it, but you are, you know, you might have that, that conversation with somebody at a, at a grocery store that, you know, just was a weird interaction and you spend five minutes talking and you connect on a very small little issue. And that was what that person needed to get over the next obstacle in their life. Like we are all enablers and, you know, and, and if we're cognizant of that and we're, and we're present in our, in our time, in our space, in the people that we're, uh, that we're interacting with, you, know, you don't know what you're going to do. You could have, I could have enabled somebody to be the next Sergeant Major of the Marine Corps, right? Because I've, I've had people come up to me since I've been doing this now, you know, over a decade, coming and say, hey, you know, hey, Tim, uh, I joined the Marine Corps because of you. I'm like, what? I am sorry that I put you through that life of pain and punishment. And all joking aside, but, but, um, 
but that's that, but that's the that's the nature of the beast that that is what is happening and i don't take that very lightly so you know being present and and, and understanding that you have the ability to enable the people around you right in the universe that you're that you're living in i mean that's an incredible that's an incredible thing and you know, imagine what imagine what we could do if we were all understanding of that we could enable some incredible things and change the course of a lot of stuff that we that we look around and be like Man, I don't understand. Why is the world on fire? Well, is it because we're not engaged anymore and, and we're not enabling, or is it you know other things? But I think that we can do more by getting involved and 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 being a part of 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 we're of everything that we're involved in and just being present. Absolutely, Sean. Coming back to you on this, what do you think? Well, I, I think that uh, I'm kind of in an interesting phase of my life in the sense of what you just described, Tim. And Dean, you'd be able to speak to this better than I, so I'm curious as to what pro tips you've got. Um, so, you know, I was used to, uh, as I've relayed, you know, tier one, I can do anything that I want, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but um, that's an individual journey. That is me heading towards becoming an astronaut, as an example. That's that's a very focalized for Sean aspect. But of course, you're kind of doing it for humanity if you're an astronaut, as far as I'm concerned. Why even get in the game if it's just to go stand on the moon? I mean, there's got to be something more to it than that, as far as I'm concerned. Just me. I'd want to do it for a bigger cause than just standing on the moon. And so uh, I think that's the key uh, to the uh, um, nebulous gray zone that I'm in right now is I've been used to doing things for a very small team, like the, the people that are immediately around me, my people that I can reach out and actually touch three-dimensionally rather than digitally. But now that we're in this digital sphere, and uh, sometimes some of the things that I say have a tiny little bit of influence on someone. Uh, in fact, uh, coincidentally, just before I came into this live chat, I was talking with a real good friend of mine, and he said that uh, his girl had heard something that I'd said, and 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 it's kind of shaping some of her trajectory right now, and uh, and I didn't I didn't think that anything that I got to say in that matter would have been uh, of importance because they were just not casual statements, but I was you know just in the zone and just flowing and 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 talking uh, back and forth with uh, her, and uh, it seems to have made an impact, but at a very tiny level on a one on one level. Now that we're in front of microphones, or now that I'm in front of a microphone. I find that, uh, I, I, not that I'm second-guessing myself all the time, but I, I do apply a little bit of filters to the things that I say. I try to be a little more careful about, dude, I got to stop saying some dumb things. I got to start saying some smart things. Uh, and so, uh, Dean, you've been in this game a long time now of, uh, uh, I was going to say influential, uh, but I think you're more of an inspiring character, and you found a way to be inspiring uh, in a, in a righteous and organic manner. And um, I'm curious as to the pitfalls that you've maybe bumped into that I'd like to edge my way around so that I don't have to learn those hard lessons so that I can deliver more effectively for the team. Yeah, I, I, I say I, I'm, I'm still a novice as well, Sean. And I, I sort of fell into this uh, by accident. So, you know, when I did the when I decided um, I was going to cycle the world's longest road, having never cycled before, um, you know, I mean, successfully raised one point four million four million dollars for mental health, broke two wheel records along the way, and things like that you know, 
I it has to be bigger than than you. I didn't. I went into that. The reason I went into that is so I wasn't smuggling people across borders in in, in war torn countries. I had to address something personally, and so for me, it was to get myself physically and mentally engaged again. But that the, the project had to be bigger than bigger than you. Um, and so, you know, we did it for the world records was for me. Get that gave me, as you know, from the military, we have to have an objective. We had to have something. To, to a target to hit. So that was a target I was hitting. But actually, you know, the, um, the, the, the money that went to the mental health, amount of people that helped, you know, that waterfall effect, that all just came purely by accident. You know, I was very, very conscious, as you touched on a minute ago, what you say and how you say and how it can be perceived. You know, people kept coming up to me thinking I was a, a, a mental health, you know, a psychologist. I was like, oh, I'm a psychiatrist. I'm not a psychologist. I knew nothing about mental health, but I was always conscious that, you know, what you can be, what you can say can be perceived in a slightly different way. And but more for me internally, and it's taken me a few years to get over it. And I turned down a lot of TV opportunities before that, and because no, I I'm I'm I respect my SF community. I you know I'm more worried about what ten people think in my team than forty million people. You know, and I still have that now. I still have that imposter syndrome uh, now, and I can never get away f- away from that. You know, this new Netflix show will probably change that a little bit. But you know, it's um, but a lot of people who I deal with, and and uh, even like brand sponsors and stuff, that is like is your your organic. You're you're actually uh, you're unique. You know, you're not selling something. You know, if you say something, we actually generally believe you're what you say because you're not on social media every day you know preaching and preaching you know i know my wife shouts me all the time my my sponsors shout me all the time because i i'm scared of social media um so for me it was just all about being genuine and being and natural not trying to be something you think the people want to see and that seems to have worked for me Yes, I, I, I take a little pause when I say things. I, I have to realize I'm actually not, not talking to my mates in the uh, back in, in, in SBS and I'm talking to a civilian community you know, that you know, it may be perceived or, or taken the wrong way. But I think you just have to be natural. I just think, you, you know, everything you do is bigger than you. Um, anything you do, you know, is for the, for the bigger cause. Um, because if you do it for selfish reasons or for your own self-promotion, then you're doing it for the, for the, for the wrong reasons. And people can see straight through that. You know, I mean, I go in again off piece slightly. I was working with a team back in UK who some of the biggest marketing teams in the world, they work with like BMW, Land Rover and things like that. And the way social media is going now, <clears throat> people are sick and tired of Kardashians holding up some shampoo or, or whatever. You know, if I look at the telly now, if I see, um, you know, one of the Williams sisters. I just generally don't believe what they're saying because they're literally selling everything out, out there. So the, the world of marketing and social media is changing now. People want to know about stories. They want to know about, you know, what's the story behind that person. And so you're going to see a shift in that. And so that's where I've seen success. In fact, I've just had a story. You know, I, I do good things, um, but I do good things for certain reasons. I don't do it for my health my own self self growth. Uh, and I'm, and I'm genuine as well. You know, I, I put out there, I, I still uncomfortable even probably doing these, these podcasts. Um, but over time it, it gets easier. Absolutely. Authenticity is, is a great seller. If you can put it out there and keep it there. I mean, like to be truly authentic is it can be challenging sometimes because 
<laughs> the world right now, especially as you said, social media has a <clears throat> has a desire for a certain thing. The the algorithm promotes certain things. But I, I have seen, I think I'm in agreement with you in the fact I've seen a lot more authenticity out there within social media. And I think that's a absolute great point. Tim, you got any thoughts on this? Yeah, I, you know, uh, I, I think about this a lot, right? Uh, I, you know, within the business, we have over 400 employees. You, you bring their families into it. It's somewhere in the realms of 1,200 people, right? And, you know, I, you know I'm, a, I'm an old salty combat Marine, man. I'm, I'm, I grew up on the south side of Chicago. I lived all over the country. I've done all sorts of different things. And, you know, my life before the military was a little bit... Um, you know, I don't know, criminal. <laughs> so like, I know, I know that I can be crass and I know that I can be and, and the words that I say are, are, are not popular. Right. But I have to be very careful about things I say, especially when my, uh, in front of my employees or when I'm, you know, having business meetings, right. Because, you know, it can change the course of what people are thinking and how they feel within an environment. Right. Because if we're thinking of going back to uh, psychology, right. Everybody operates within the idea of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Right. And a good employer and a good, and a good business person understands that. And, you know, what's the first basis of theirs, like providing, you know, food uh, and sustenance and then safety and, and security. And, and then you're going all the way up to self-actualization. You know, I want everybody in my organization to self-actualize, to know that they are the, the most important person in the world. And the, the things that they're around them is the most important things to them. And they have the ability to enable and to influence uh, these things when they are able to achieve that. And it's very important and you know being authentic is extraordinarily important in today's world because you know in the world of social media uh, that you know everybody's connected to uh, well largely the the, the the people are connected to um you, you can be sniffed out really quickly if you're fake right and to be authentic you have to have a level of transparency and a level of vulnerability and let's be honest men like us are it's hard for us to be vulnerable because you know we've we're, we're hard. We're hard headed. Uh, we have a lot of us have big egos, uh, and you know a lot of us you know don't want to have that moment of, of you know of being completely transparent and see through and, and vulnerable because you know it's just not our style. Um, you know, and you know, but to get to where you want to be, you know, for like myself, it took me a lot of psychedelics to get to the, the point of of being truly transparent and, and okay with me. To go out and then be able to work in, in the way that I do and, and be available for other people uh, because I had built a, a significant amount of armor around myself because, uh, you know, I, did, I was not OK with my emotions. I was not OK with, you know, some of the things that I was uh, I was dealing with as a, as a, as a man, as a, as a person, as a father, as a husband. Right. These were all things that I, I struggled with for a long, a long period of time. But when I came to that, I, the understanding that it's okay, and you know, I'm, 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 I understand me, and I'm good with me, and I'm, I'm able to have a, a relationship with myself. Then I'm even in a position that I can have better relationships with other people, and I can be authentic, and I can be present, and I can be that 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 shoulder to cry on. I can be that shoulder to, that people are putting their hand on for strength. And I can be all these different things because I've been able to understand who I am as a person and what my, my capabilities are to helping other, other people. 
And you know, again, this is not you know a topic that a lot of people like to talk about, but you know, it's something that I find is important as a leader is to you know be that individual that can be be transparent, be vulnerable, be tough when needed, lead when when it's appropriate, uh, follow when it's appropriate. Um, you know, because leaders do follow, and and that is a that is, that is a hidden secret that a lot of people don't understand as well. So I think it's I think it's important to you know really understand you know what authenticity authenticity really is because you know it's it's not just being like true to a conversation. It's it's much more layered than that. Absolutely, Sean. What are you thinking? I think and I agree. And uh, I think that it's, uh, it, as, as Tim and Dean state, um, these are not easy things to do. Uh, I don't find them easy. I'll say that. Uh, and, uh, and every day, week, month, year, I'm trying to do it better, of course, but it's freaking hard, man. It's hard to put it out there legit and, and with no fakery. Uh, not being fake aroni is difficult nowadays because the um, the the attraction of being validated or liked or or uh, somebody's uh, new best friend it, it can be appealing if you're not paying attention and so I, I I really do focus on that a lot right now is just trying to be authentic whatever that means uh, to me today versus a year ago, which I was not as good at it as I am now. What does good at it mean? It means that I'm more comfortable in the moment. I'm more comfortable in this moment. To to Dean's uh, point, we've, uh, I think maybe in our last conversation on the collective, perhaps we talked about imposter syndrome. I'm, I can't specifically remember, but uh, much like yourself, Dean, uh, I've got wicked imposter syndrome. And uh, maybe I'm saying that with a Chicago accent. I'm not sure. Uh, but uh, I, I, I do have it. And it's something that I have to constantly uh, keep in check or m more correctly uh, use appropriately in the moment and kind of strip it out from time to time or leave it in place from time to time to get a sense of if I'm doing things right or not for me. Uh, and then if I'm doing it right for me, if I feel authentic, then it's got to be right for the team. So I'm kind of always feeling my world through two layers. And that is how it feels for Sean and then how it feels for the team around me. And so uh, either Dean or Tim, um, have, have you found something that kind of, you know, greases that wheel or makes it a little easier on on your melon? that uh, you kind of slipped into this thing a little more expeditiously? I think, sorry, I didn't mind Tim if I go, I, you know, for me, I, I'd gone from a tier one unit where it was a taboo, you know, social media was a taboo to all of a sudden, you know, this is now a tool to help sell books, get your guest speaking, get your thing. So again, the way it's worked for me being authentic, and I, again, I sort of took it from my time in the military. You know, when I was grow when I was going through the ranks, you know, I'd saw good instructors, I saw bad instructors. I mean, when I was an instructor myself, you know, I would never ask anything of the students I couldn't do myself. So it was always through action rather than promotion or, or shouting at them. So what's worked for me, the attraction of getting genuine, people see me as genuine is through action and not through me talking about it. You know, what I mean, it, it, and that's that's what's really worked for me um, is actually doing it. Again, I don't. 
you know, if there's a camera off to the side, all this camera's fine, but I, I don't like doing this. I'd hate doing stories. I still, that's my biggest imposter syndrome. Um, again, it just feels un, unnatural. You know, we just, just without going into too much detail, just done this big show, you know, as I said with Netflix, there's three, three hosts and one of them's a YouTuber. Probably the least experienced out of all is in the military. He did like four years in the Rangers. But my God, this guy is good on the camera because he's bored. He's like that. He's used to that. Whereas me and the other guy were like, ah, this doesn't feel right. Um, but we all still look, look great on there. But going back to yours, what works for me is actually the attraction is through action and not promotion. Me telling people to do it. You know, they see me do it. And then I just share. They message me, you know, how did you do this? So I mean, I'll, I'll share it. I like that. Tim, what are you thinking? Uh, yeah, there's two things, right? I think, you know, what is important is your book of work, right? Because talk is cheap. Words are cheap, right? And at the end of the day, like, I see a lot more people that in, in Texas, they have the saying, uh, all hat, no cattle, right? And you know, those are the people that just talk, talk out their butt all day, and they don't have anything to show and to support what it is that they're talking about. You know, your book of work is really all that you have. And then, and that, and that leads into the second point of, you know, uh, imposter syndrome, right? I think, you know, for one thing to really recognize is that, and I learned this very early in talking to some of the biggest, you know, uh, people in McKenzie group, you know, that, you know, leaders in business and business development, you know, and, and that what I learned is nobody knows what they're doing. Nobody knows what they're doing. Everybody has their experiences. Uh, and that's what's leading them in the in the situations that they're tackling at any given time. Because you know what, all these situations that we're going through, like right now, Dean, you're sitting in front of a camera. You, this is a new. This is a. This right here is a new experience, right? Because we're living in the present. Um, and with that, you know, you, all you have is the experiences that you have behind you. Of like, I I know what I am. I know what I'm capable of, and I know what I can do. And all, that's all I need to move through this space. So like, it, it, and it took me a, a little bit of a while to understand it because I, I suffered from imposter syndrome a lot, like especially as, as I was flying through the business. I'm like, okay, now I'm a chief operating officer of a $100 million company. I don't know what I'm doing. And uh, everybody I talk to seems like they don't know what they're doing either, like peers at the same level business sizes. And they're just kind of going through it. And all these people have peer groups that they, they go back to and they call them like, hey, uh, I, I've got a problem and I don't know how to handle it. And they're leaning on the experiences of others, but those experiences don't really equate to the situation that they find themselves in. So they're taking that information, they're boiling it down to something that they can say, okay, this feels comfortable for me and this is the direction I'm going to go with that. So, you know, take those ideas of imposter syndrome and just throw them out of, the, throw them out of your headspace uh, because at the end of the day, nobody knows what they're doing. <laughs> I love that line. I've uh, I've I've said that before. I think it's a it's a it's a great way to look at life in terms of um, everybody is doing the best that they can in the moment with what they have, and if they don't have a lot, well, there's probably not a lot of solutions there. If they have a, a body of experience, then there's probably going to be more solutions there. But I, I do love that, and I I wanted to bring back uh, bring it back to a point that we somebody made earlier. I don't remember if it was Tim or Dean here, but being an enabler. And I wanted, I wanted to get your guys' definition of what it is to be an enabler. Because for people in the military, you hear the word, oh, I'm an enabler. Okay, cool. Yeah. Like, I get it. You're, you know, it's a support role. It's a, it's a whatever. But how do you see being an enabler, especially now outside of the military, to be, uh, to enable those around you? Dean, I'm going to start with you because you look like you're deep in thought. 
Yeah, I, I um, for me as an, an enabler, again, you know, a similar situation to you, Tim. I, I was flying back from, me and the family are flying back to the UK from LAX on um, New Year's Eve. And this guy comes up to me and he's like, you're Dean Stott. And I was like, okay. He's like, he goes, I read your book and I've joined the Royal Marines. I'm going back to UK now from New Zealand to just finish. And so, you know, I didn't know I was an enabler. You know, I don't know I'm an enabler. You know, I don't class myself as an enabler. And I, I think people who say they're an enabler often have a target audience. I don't know who my target audience is. It, it varies. And so I think you just have to be authentic. You just have to be you. And if people like what they see, then that's great. But, you know, I wouldn't class myself as an enabler. I just see, you know, people call themselves ambassadors and, and, and things like that. Um, yeah, so I, I, I don't, I, first time I'd really heard that phrase enabler i've heard ambassador and, and things like that but maybe someone appeared to look up to but no i just think as long as you're authentic you know because i wouldn't be an enabler to everyone in society you know not everyone you know does what i do or wants you know wants to do what i do um and so i just think all that that whole authenticity you know you will end up enabling people just purely fewer actions but um I don't definitely promote myself as, as an enabler. I just give you an example. This is what worked for me. <laughs> you know, you know, take the same route if you want, but, um, you know, it wasn't always the, the right route. Uh, I bounced my way along. Uh, but these are the lessons I learned along the way. And so that's what I could really do is, you know, if people want to do what I do, I can't really say, well, they, you know, for me, it's like what worked and what didn't work, you know, and you guys fill in the gaps. I like that. Tim, what are you thinking? Uh, you know, I think... For, for some of the things I, 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 I impress upon people that uh, I work with and those that work underneath me is how do we get to yes, right? Because people are going to come to you and they're going to ask, they're going to ask for your assistance. They're going to ask for your knowledge, right? And, you know, and for me, it's like I want to give as much as I can to everybody else, right? I, there's, I, I'm, I'm very open with people and saying, you know, we've built an incredible business here and I like sharing my toys with people uh, and giving them uh, a hand up in their, in their opportunity, um, you know, sharing knowledge as I can into appropriate situations, you know, and, and, and really having the sense of mind of saying, you know what, Tim, you're, you know, you're, you've had all this success. You've managed well over a billion dollars in revenue that has come through your business, but you are just as normal as any other person that puts their pants on at the beginning of the day. You put it one leg at a time and you get, you, you get going and you do it like everybody else. And it's, you know, grounding myself in that understanding of saying, how can I help people with the information that I've learned along the way to be more impactful in their own lives? And, you know, it's how do you get to yes? Like if there's a, if someone's bringing you a problem, you know, and it, you know, and, and your immediate, your, your immediate reaction is, oh, absolutely not. No, no, that's, that's just dumb. Right. And that's the reaction, you know, and, but if you were to sit back and be like to give a response is like, you know, I like what you're doing. I don't think I would go about it this way. Here's how I would approach that situation. Now I'm, now I'm providing you an opportunity and I'm enabling you to think differently. I'm enabling you to go and think about your problem in a different way. And, and you might find a different solution that you didn't think of because you were stuck in a brain block and you, you, you've worked yourself into a corner. So that's I, what I think of an enabler is, is giving people the, 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 the power, the tools, the, the ability to, to, to you know, think differently. I really like that too, Sean. 
What are you thinking? So whether I'm an enabler or not, I have no idea. But I will say this, that <clears throat> just uh, within the last 48 hours, uh, an interesting little uh, process has uh, appeared in front of my nose that should make my point. Uh, I've been playing around with the artificial intelligence art for a while now, uh, mid-journey 6.0, just not dabbling. But I mean, if I'm going to do something, I'm I'm going to give it a crack. I'm going to like try to you know, own it. And so uh, I'm not out goofing around on uh, AI art, uh, but I, I, I enjoy it. And, and I find it to be thought provoking and it, and it strikes my creative spirit. It allows me to do my Miyamoto Masashi with my calligraphy pen, as it were, digital style. Um, and so Mark Ormrod hit me up about mm, not quite 48 hours ago and he said, dude, I, I've been checking out your AI art. It's freaking amazing. Uh, would you do one of me? And I said, dude, of course. But the funny thing is, since I started AI art and I started creating, I've got a bit of a ninja theme. I'm a ninja freak. Uh, I've got a little bit of a ninja theme going, but I was also creating a little bit of, you know, futuristic, cybernetic, future warrior, et cetera. And as I was creating all these various characters in AI art, Mark Ormrod was kind of in my head for quite a long time because uh, he's an awesome dude. Plus, he's a freaking hero. Plus, like I was thinking, man, if I can attach like prosthetics or futuristic cybernetic sort of things to a ninja, then I can do that for anything. And Mark, for whatever reason, was in my head. And then he hit me out of the blue and said, hey, would you? And I said, of course. And so I did my best effort the other day and you know, fired it up on the IG and, and shot Mark, uh, uh, here you go, pal. That was my best effort. I'll try again in a year to make it better. Uh, and so um, what, what was interesting to me is through trying to, trying to be cool with Mark and Mark being cool with me, the enabler in this story is an outside perspective. It is another, it's a third party who viewed what was going on between myself and Mark. And they said, hey, you're now a professional artist. And I laughed like I almost had a bit of snot come out of my nose because I just never really thought of it like that. I, I just think of it as I'm just goofing around trying to be helpful. But they said, you're a professional artist right now. And so I thought, oh, am I? That's ridiculous because if I am, this is now my 10th career. And so I don't think of myself as a professional artist, but the very fact that that individual said it, they enabled me to realize, oh, I could be, I suppose, if I put my mind to it. 10 years from now, I could be an astronaut. So 10 years from now, I could be a professional artist. But it was never, ever, ever a consideration until that individual said it just within the last 24 hours. So they enabled me to open my mind to the fact that I suppose I could if I wanted to. Now, I probably won't because it's the imposter syndrome in me won't allow me to pursue that. But the fact remains that I don't know if I'm enabling anyone else, but I do know that people are enabling me. So I just wanted to throw that out there. Now, I'm going to push back on that a little bit because you are absolutely an enabler. You did your entire live chat yesterday enabling people to go do push-ups for for another for a cause, right? And that 
and you used a variety of different styles in which to do that. There was some shame. There was some encouragement. There was more shame. There was some more shame. That, like, but there was a good variety. Was. I, I will say this. I, I, I particularly appreciated when I went full Game of Thrones mode and I was doing the shame, 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 Fantastic. and calling people out. That was fun. That was fun for me. <laughs> So now the reason I wanted to get your guys' thoughts on what, you know, what an enabler is and that kind of thing is that we, I recently had a, um, I have a hater and I think it's kind of hilarious because I, I was always told, you know, growing up, you're never really successful until you have haters. And so when I got the first hater, I was like, yay, I'm successful, you know, that kind of thing. But uh, he, he asked a question and I thought it was a perfectly reasonable question. And it was, what makes us capable to speak about the issues that we get into or the, uh, the things that we speak about, the stuff that we espouse? What qualifies us as former military or uh, whatever to discuss these things? And what always clicked in my head was, well, I have experience, right? I, I talk about mental health issues because I dealt with mental health issues. I talked about veterans advocacy because I've dealt with veterans advocacy, that kind of thing. But what I've come to realize now, at least in my mind, is that I'm a facilitator at heart. I like to bring things together so that I like these conversations. I bring people together. We discuss stuff. We come up with either solutions or more questions but I'm facilitating the whole process. So I'm wondering what your guys' thoughts are on this and that, you know, what makes us enablers in the sphere of the veteran world or in the, uh, the shooting world, like Dean, we have all of these skill sets, but does that just the skill set give us the authority to talk about the stuff that we do? Or does the fact that we're willing to talk about the stuff that we do based off of our experience enable us to be listened to, if that makes any sense. So I want to get your guys' thoughts on it. Sean, I'm going to come to you first, though. What do you think? Sure. Uh, I, I don't know why anyone listens to me most of the time. Honestly, sometimes my own voice irritates me, so there's that. Uh, second thing is, if I just look back at this week, uh, so today and the last seven days, I'm talking to two rad dudes. Should they be on the show? Should I be on the show? I don't know. But because we're on the show and we're here doing it for reals, I'm always going to gain something from it, as I hope they gain something from it, as I hope the audience gains something from it. So as I put all my hopes up on a shelf and keep polishing them every week, what I do know is this. It's creating results because I hear it from feedback. People hit me up after the fact and say, dude, I've never heard anything like that from that guest. That was amazing. That just changed my life. Bam. That's enough for me. On, on Wednesday, we had a, a psychologist and again, uh, uh, PJ Miller, um, two individuals that uh, came with a ton of experience and a, not a ton of opinions, but a ton of experience and some carefully chosen language that helped move my needle. So am I qualified to be in front of a microphone? Probably not. Of course, I've always stated that I never wanted to be in front of a microphone. People dragged me here kicking and screaming. Like I was punching people out before I even came close to the microphone. They all got it. They all got a little bit of wrath from me because I did not want to do this. So I didn't like skip down the yellow brick road until I bumped into a microphone and thought, yes, finally I've made it. This quite the opposite. This thing tortures me uh, some days. I don't want to be in front of it. Maybe a bit like Dean. I don't know. Tim seems to be more natural, but maybe Tim's got more reps in. 
I don't know. But I've put in so many reps in front of this microphone now that I'm finally feeling like I'm comfortable in front of it. But it took a freaking long time. So this is what I would say, Chance. I might not be the right guy. I might not be... I might not have the authority to speak on any subject, but until someone comes along and takes over my spot, which I have asked for countless times, bring it, come and replace me for the love of all things good. Please replace me. I'll get back to drinking coffee and riding my mountain bike. So until that happens, I'll just keep on doing what I'm doing. And so for anyone out there who's curious as to, um, am I competent or capable or do I have the authority to do this? Maybe not, but if you think you do, bring it. Bam. Like it. Dean, what are you thinking? Yeah, I think it is a comment we made earlier on in the show. You know, we you saw a gap and you filled it. You know, you, you can wait for someone else to come along or you can do it yourself. And that's what you guys have done. And, and I don't think uh, you know, what's great about this show I find different from others is that, you know, you bring on guests and they are experts in their own fields, but we're not experts in in everything. You know, I go away, I've already gone away from this show, learning stuff from Tim, learning stuff from Sean and yourself and every show that I've been on. So I'm not here saying I, I'm the expert, but I will give you what my point of view, my point of view is slightly different. We talked about, you know, growing up in going to university in America, is very different from university in Scotland. You know, that's the great thing about this is you basically got a collective of individuals who are experts in certain fields, but not in, not in everything. And what we say isn't, you know, don't, you don't have to go away and think that's exactly, no, that's the truth. You know, it's just the way that we're, we're, we're expressing our own views from our own experiences. You know, everyone's unique. And so you're never going to have a podcast where you're going to have an expert because even the experts, you know, the Joe Rogan, he's always learning every show that he, every guest he has on, he is always learning. So do anyone think they're their expert and know everything? You know, no one knows everything. And so what you've done is you've drawn a collective of individuals who have their own opinions. And so, yeah, you saw an opportunity, you filled that gap. And then, as you said, you think someone else can do it better than no one, no one else turned up. I like it. Tim, what are you thinking? Well, you know, I, I, I am no expert because uh, I fail at more things than I am successful at. But at the end of the day, I'm a professional. And why do I say that? Because I get paid for the things I do. And, um, you know, and until, you know, to Sean's point, until somebody can do it better than me, uh, I'm the guy in, in, in this business, at least. And uh, that gives me some authority to speak on the things that I have experience in, the things that I get paid for. Now, again, if I was to go out there and build myself as some expert in business, well, I would I would expect to get shot down like a C C forty seven over the market garden, right? Uh, but I, I don't because I know better than that, and I'm always learning. And failure is my best friend because from that I'm able to uh, continue to hone my craft and sharpen my blade. Absolutely. I, uh, Sean, what do you got? Yeah. So just one more thing, uh, because I didn't throw it into my little monologue there. Um, I, I'm not suggesting that, uh, we all suck and there's way better people out there and we're all just waiting for them to step up to the microphone. That's not what I'm saying. We're the right people for the job right now and maybe forever until another person comes along who's better for the job. So, I'm not saying that I suck super bad and please line up the queue of people to replace me. What I'm saying is, if you want the job, come and get it. 
But until then, I'm going to keep on doing the job, which is in line with what Tim just said. And so uh, we're also not uh, passing out the wisdom as subject matter experts with all the answers. I don't know if we've got any answers, but between the four of us combined, we'll cobble up a few ideas that will help move the needle for someone out there. I know that to be true because I get the feedback on the regular that Tim or Dean or Chance will have said something in this last couple of hours that's changed someone's life. And that's worth it to me. So for anyone who was hating on your chance or or had maybe they weren't it wasn't a hate question it was just a really challenging question uh that that was along the lines of what gives you the authority nobody's got any authority in this podcasting world as far as i'm concerned it's just humans communicating with each other and we're all just freaking doing our best absolutely as tim said nobody knows what they're doing that's a that's exactly it. Uh, it reminds me of a, uh, a line from Starship Troopers, Sean, just to bring this right back to what you're talking about was, uh, I think it was Rico that gets promoted and he goes, they need a new lieutenant. You're it. And, and he's like, okay, I'll do the job until I get killed or you find someone better. And just, I think that's such a great uh, concept. And I, I want to kind of close the, the show off with that, but I'm going to ask you guys this question. Sean brought this out a couple of episodes ago and I really liked it since he's did it. So I'm going to ask you guys this question over the last two hours or so, what major takeaway have you taken from this conversation? What, uh, what out of the whole thing are you walking away with, uh, overall, Tim, you're coming up first. What do you think? Absolutely. Dean, what are you thinking? Yeah, I think um, for me, you know, we're, we're our biggest critic. You know, I, I would talk about the imposter syndrome. You know, I love, I love the, the phrase, nobody knows what they're doing. And, and I'll, probably, I'll probably learn from that now is, you know, when, you know, I'll probably improve now a bit more on, on, social, on social media because you are, you are worried about, and as Chan, you've already brought, you know, you're worried about what that, that guest wrote. You know, we, we focus on the negatives rather than the positives. Um, you know, you guys know Jack Carr. We we're up at Jack Carr's doing his podcast, and he was doing a giveaway. He was doing a giveaway event, and yeah, thousands of great comments and one bad comment. And focus on that one bad one. And so, you know, we always focus on the on the negatives. Uh, but for me, is like, you know, that imposter syndrome. How am I going to break through that? And I love what what Tim said. You know, nobody knows what they're doing, and just be a little bit easy on yourself. Uh, you know, don't worry. Don't focus too much whatever else thinks. You know. They're probably in the same boat. I love it. Love it. Sean, what are you thinking? Well, it's not so much uh, any one particular paragraph or sentence or keyword that has stood out for me uh, in this conversation, because there's been several and, and I could cherry pick all day long. But I'm going to go with this because I, I this is really what I feel. Um, I I like the vibe, man. I like the vibe over here on today's uh, chat because... Hanging out with Dean and Tim, like two eminently capable guys with great experiences, great backgrounds. They're kicking that arse and all of that good stuff. But just 
throwing all of that to the aside for a second, the vibe, the feel, the feel that I got during this last couple of hours. It was like hanging out with two really cool guys. And so you can climb all the mountains, you can do all the things, but you can still be a goof. And so I'll respect your big adventures, your grand experiments. I, I'll always respect someone who's cracking it out of the park. But if you're a cool guy while you're doing it, that really moves the needle for me. So for all of the things that were said or weren't said, you can strip all of that away and get right down to the meat and potatoes of it. And it's got to feel like you're hanging out with cool people. So I just wanted to reiterate to everyone out there that uh, is hanging out and listening to this uh, when it drops, that what you might hear is a bunch of good things. But what I'd challenge you to do is tune into the vibe. And I think that that might be helpful. I like it. I got to say, uh, my takeaway is it, it's twofold, but uh, it really is summed up in this one thing. We all have to learn what our capabilities are. Once we learn what our capabilities are, we can build upon that and start finding holes to fill. And then as we do that more and more and more and more, that builds us into the people that we are meant to be. And we can enable those around us to do the same. So that is my whole takeaway. And I really do appreciate the conversation. Dean and Tim and Sean, this has been absolutely fantastic. I, I can't thank you enough. So. We'll see y'all next week. Yeah. Thank you so much. Chimo.